What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago. Parents and community members have until this Thursday to apply to run for a seat on their local school councils. Now, the councils are one of the main ways Chicagoans can get involved in the big decisions affecting our schools and students. That's why we're revisiting our conversation from the fall with Chalk B Chicago editor Becky Vivi to learn exactly how local school councils work. It's Monday, February 5th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago is talking about. Becky, welcome back to CityCast Chicago. Thanks for having me, Jacoby. I want to start with the simple question. What does a local school council actually do? So I like to think of them as mini school boards at every single individual public school. And they have essentially three main functions. They approve a plan, an academic plan for the school. They also approve what I'll say is like the budget related to that plan. And they choose and evaluate the principal of the school in most cases. So you say the local school councils are kind of like many school boards, but for people listening, most of them might remember we are we have a school board that'll be more elected moving forward. But am I correct in that the local school councils are already elected bodies? Correct. So they are elected by the local school community. So anybody with a child at the school um, is allowed to vote in those LSC elections, as well as in the case of neighborhood schools, anybody who lives in the boundary of that school. So if you're a community member and you want to go vote at your local school, even if you don't send a child there, you can go vote at that local school. Okay. Uh, What are some of the big examples of the decisions driven by local school councils? Again, I think principal selection is likely the biggest thing that uh, an LSC does, as well as, like I said, approving some of the budget, like a small slice of the budget they get to weigh in on. Um, But it's really a, a chance for the local community representatives to have some say over what's happening inside of the individual school building around, you know, curriculum choices, after school programs. And by choosing the principal, they're choosing the leader who then implements those plans. Got it. I mean, we already have the head of Chicago Public Schools and the hierarchy that comes under that. We have a a school board that is growing over the next few years. Why do we need or why does Chicago have local school councils? Is it just about that community engagement? So it's interesting. Local school councils have a very um, interesting history. They were created in uh, 1988 under an education reform law passed by the state of Illinois. And the idea was to really decentralize decision making out of the central office and put power Mm -hmm. back into the hands of local communities and really empower parents, communities to 
improve their schools, to give them ownership over what was happening in their schools and and to help improve the education being provided to their children. Now, in 1995, some of that power, a lot of that power kind of got re-centralized back to right. the central office under mayoral control and the appointed school board that we have now. And so for many years, local school councils, it's been very sort of haphazard. It, some have very strong roles in their schools and others, you know, they can barely elect enough people to sit on the LSC. And so they didn't have as they don't have as much power in certain places. So I do think there are questions right now about what the role of the LSC will be going forward as we shift to an elected school board. I'd love a little Venn, like multi-level Venn diagram of just the overlap between the district, the forthcoming hybrid school board and the local school councils of responsibilities mm-hmm. they share, responsibilities they independently have, sort of who needs to check in with who to get what done. One thing that it might be worth noting is that there's an effort afoot right now to unionize principals. Principals have filed a petition to have a bargaining, bargain a contract, essentially. And I think there are questions right now as to sort of who's the boss under that setup. Um, central office obviously hires principals. The Board of Education, you know, cuts the check for a principal. And yet LSCs select who they want to be their school's principals from a pool of candidates and has the power to not renew a contract if they don't like what the mm-hmm. principal's doing. So I think there are some going to be some jurisdictional questions as the principals move to, toward unionization as to who has the power to kind of, you know, guarantee a principal a job or something. You know, like there's yeah. going to be power questions between the school board and the LSCs and the central office staff um, as to like who does the principal actually report to. Um, and I, I love your idea of a Venn diagram because um, I think there's some messiness still as to like, I'm not sure where exactly the overlap is or will be as we um, transition to this elected school board. That actually made me think of one more question. Sure. Because while local school councils don't get a ton of attention, they have been in the news over the last year for a few things, whether it was uh, the decision to let the principal at Jones College Prep go, but also how schools voted on the presence of police in their schools. And in both of these decisions, at times it feels like the local school council's decision either don't jail completely with the school community or completely with the, the community at large. When these type of conflicts arise, How does the local school council move through them? In recent years, that did become a power that the central office, the school board gave to LSCs. They said, well, why don't you decide if you want a police officer in your school, if you want a school resource officer? And it was an interesting dynamic because in some ways it was them at the central office punting downward saying, we don't want to make this decision. (laughs) So why don't you guys? And then it it did it did become heated in some communities as to some people saying no we should keep the cops there others saying cops need to go and yeah you had 12 people you had to vote um and it was very interesting to watch how that played out um but the board is able to pass new policies and say this is our policy now and so they could choose to take that power back too later on and so it's going to be very interesting to watch. And um, 
you know, I do wonder, too, if there will be some need to clean up the state law that governs LSCs and the state law that's governing the elected school board, because there's some gray area throughout and question as to, oh, well, whose jurisdictional power is this decision? Since we first had this conversation, Mayor Brandon Johnson told WBEZ in the Sun-Times that he was prepared to give the board the go-ahead to end CPS's contract with the Chicago Police Department. And principals have been told to prepare for the removal of police officers from schools. That means it's looking like this decision won't be up to local school councils. Meanwhile, state lawmakers are still deliberating over a map and how Chicago's new school board will be elected. The first elections are slated for November. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Across the board, how many people can sit on a local school council and who exactly can can be on the council again? So it depends on if it's an elementary or high school, but it's at least 12 members. Um, oh, wow. That's yeah. A, so it's a lot. A, uh-huh. <laughs> and another reason why there's probably a lot of vacancy is because, you know, um, parents, it's mostly parents. Uh, there are at least six parent representatives. Um, and then there's depending, like I said, on elementary or high school, usually like two to three community uh, to teachers, to non-teaching staff. Um, and the principal usually also sits on the LSE technically, but often doesn't vote. Like they wouldn't vote on their own contract, for instance. Right. Um, and then student representatives do, there is a, a place for student representatives as well. Um, usually just one student representative. But these are, like I said, kind of big groups of people and just filling those positions has been, I think, a challenge in a lot of communities and the places where local school councils have a lot of strength, where you have robust engagement, you have every seat filled um, and you do have LSCs really weighing in, kind of pushing the principal to consider, hey, have you thought about, you know, doing this kind of approach to reading or math? And we Last month, we reported on a report that Raise Your Hand, the parent group did. They do a lot of organizing around local school councils. You know, they did a survey and a, and a study, and they found that schools where the student population is majority black tended to have more li- vacancies on their LSC. Mm-hmm. And when you have vacancies on your LSC, it's usually a signal of sort of a, a less influential body, um, less power. And that can be really problematic as a parent myself. Like, it's... 
you know, you kind of have to stop yourself from volunteering again often because there's just mm-hmm. a lot on people's plates. It's, what does that time commitment look like? Yeah. So it's usually um, one meeting a month. Um, okay. You know, my child's school is usually one meeting a month and often they're, you know, during the pandemic, certainly virtual. But raise your hand when they did their survey. They also found that sometimes people don't know even know about the meetings or how to attend them, where they're at. Are they virtually streamed or are they in the school gym and what time are they and can I get there because I have, you know, maybe I'm working two jobs and I actually can't make the meeting. So there's that challenge as well. Um, But really, those are the different types of people that can run. And it um, is very interesting. I should also note that people who are... um, Undocumented are allowed to vote in these elections if their children go to those schools or if they live in those communities. Man, when I think of the number of boards, committees, (laughs) councils, panels that this city has, it's a bit overwhelming. What do you hear from people who have who have done this work? You know, I think that people who do it feel like it is fulfilling. I do think that um Even people who sit on LSCs don't always know exactly what their role is. And so training Mm. is really important. And I don't think that the training has always been, um, you know, the district's training. They do do some training now, but I think there's community groups that fill in the cracks, like Raise Your Hand, that try to help educate people who, once they are elected, know what their duties are. Um, And I will say, though, I have also heard from LSC members that it can also be frustrating to be on an LSC because there are limits to your power. Mm -hmm. Um, If the district hands your school a budget, I remember when they rolled out the student-based budgeting system where you get budgeted based on how many kids you enroll. You know, a lot of LSCs were like, what what can we do about this? And Mm -hmm. there's not much like they can't. You know, they can't raise taxes on themselves or something. They they get the budget that's sort of handed to them and then they can decide sort of how it's divided up. But they are not, you know, they often get the blowback from the local community of like, why are we cutting these teachers? And it's like, wasn't their decision. It was actually central office's decision. And I think so it can be a frustrating role for some people who have sat on LSCs. You made it very clear that from school to school, what that looks like can change. Mm-hmm. You know, how do these disparities play out across the city's schools? And at a school that doesn't have a robust LSC, who sort of steps in to, to feel that power and make those decisions? So as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the vacancies that we found are um, at majority Black schools on the South and West sides. And We also do know that we went through a period in Chicago when school LSCs lost their power. So under then-CPS CEO Paul Vallis, if a school was placed on probation, their LSC no longer had the power to hire and fire the principal or approve a budget or approve how the budget got spent. And so you essentially had them their powers were kind of taken away. And so therefore... They just became figureheads in some respect. Yeah. So people didn't run or they didn't, you know, they they sort of withered away. And in that stead, if the school was on probation, essentially the, the central office was the ones in charge trying to um, come up with the improvement plans, um, putting in a principal in place to, to improve or turn around that school. Um, and so... There was a real like diminishment of power in 
communities where schools were put on probation. And that has had lingering effects, I think, because if you if you were an LSC at one of those schools for many years, and even though we no longer have this so-called probation designation, mm-hmm. you were used to not having an LSC with that kind of power. And so it's like foreign to you. It feels, you, like, you you're, it feels like you're starting from, starting from, scratch, from scratch again. You exactly. have to not only... Like even before training people, you have to re-educate people that this is here. This exists. How, how for do you, you get involved? Yep. When are the meetings? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious why a parent, a, a student, a teacher would want to sit on their local school council. But for a person who's not any of those, why are they likely to get involved as well? One, it's a chance for people to get to know their local school maybe before they have children, or schools are community hubs and there are things that schools bring to neighborhoods. Um, They might use the playground. They might use the soccer field. They might use the basketball courts in the back. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of things that that community member seat bring to the table to bring that question of like, how is this school also serving as a community hub for the people who live here in this community that are not necessarily teachers, children, or parents? Becky Vivi is an editor with Chalk Beach Chicago and always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Before we let you go, stay tapped into all CityCast Chicago has to offer by bookmarking our website, chicago.citycast.fm, saving our contact info into your phone. You can always text us or leave us a voicemail at 773-780-0246. And make sure you subscribe to our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago. Now, you know, I got some good news for you. The Chicago Public Library's 2024 Maker and Residence applications are now open. Two lucky Chicago artists will secure paid 12-week residencies where they'll not only teach classes, but create a piece that will be on display at the Harold Washington Library. You can check the show notes for more information. As always, I appreciate you for listening and reading, and most importantly, putting us on your calendar to be back here bright and early tomorrow morning. I'll talk to you then. Peace. And this is what Chicago is talking about.